Warning. What follows is a story of monsters, madness, and mayhem. I'm Nick. I'm Zach. Welcome to Weird and Feared, a barely educational podcast about global folklore that aims to enlighten, entertain, and expand your world. I can't wait. We were just talking off air about how confusing Halloween is. This is episode labeling is going to be very confusing. I would say it's episode four, I guess. Because I, I guess since we did the whole breakdown thing, we're, uh, we got seasons now. We do. Even though we don't really stop. No, and when I, when I ever I name these, it'll be episode 50, whatever. But the season still matters. Like comic book run. Like season one, but episode, it's fine. Yeah. We're making our own yeah, our yeah. own timeline. Exactly. Yeah. Um, everybody just hang 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 tight and keep track. But this is season two, and I guess already episode four, right? Because we began the premiere with the uh, the battle, which again, the results of that battle have been controversial. Or would that be the finale of season one? I feel because we start I mean, we started on so. ep- yeah we started on episode fifty three which if we do a podcast every week for a year fifty two okay. is a full year yeah all right I get I get where you're coming from with that you know what I mean that's yeah. that's one way to keep track of it mm-hmm. but we didn't address it last episode but yeah we had a whole giant battle oh yeah yeah I know we just I just yeah, dove in got, uh... that's all right it's worth addressing now it's still relevant mm-hmm. because many people feel Satin, Santa Odin. Maybe he got screwed by the Archangel Gabriel. Yeah. He... It's tough. We, we had, mean, you heard us talk about it. Everybody heard yeah, us talk Santa about it. Santa was my favorite. Yeah. And uh, I love angels, but I was willing to have Santa win. We could have gone on. Just that battle itself could have lasted forever with how many theories we could have just whipped out there. Yeah, in a year, instead of having like a whole new bracket, we'll just have a whole episode about <laughs> Gabriel yeah. and Santa. Yeah. Round two. Which is why it came down to the die, but. Yeah. I won't deny Odin is an ultimate badass, but Gabriel has a power of the god behind him, which is like outsourcing and his power. Odin's the god of war. But I don't know. Odin I, is we, the we don't god need to get war. back into this because we're right, going to go stop, forever right, again. We got to stop. Right. This yeah. is why. This is why, guys. It was the dice roll. We left it to the fates. Yeah. And maybe, just maybe, Gabriel had a little bit of Wendigo shit in his head, so he was a little bit darker, a little bit more sadistic. Hmm. Well, Odin wanted to fight. I just like the idea of. Uh, Angel Digo, so I just want to talk Angel about it Digo. whenever I can. Maybe a better name would have been Angel Digo, but I wasn't smart enough to put that together that episode. Like yeah, you don't need fine. the you don't need the L, Angel Digo. Nah, I don't know. Okay, anyways, moving on though, it was a great battle. I'm happy it happened. Yeah, me too. It was fun. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see what happens at the end of this one this year. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Who's Manuel Gonzalez going to fight? All right, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, today we are now for something in entirely different. Yes. Okay. In 1914, do you know what started? The First World War. Correct. The First World War broke out. Oh, my God. Already to the gate, one of the most horrific things in human history. Yep. <laughs> it is part of a series of events that has uh, led us to where we are in our modern world. Yes. 
World War I was called the War to End War or the Seminal Catastrophe. <laughs> so, <laughs> ah, that's the one I haven't heard all the time. Yeah. But uh, the War to End Wars was seen almost as a means of mutual destruction. Modern technology had changed far quicker than the tactics and military tradition uh, had allowed for. These changes in warfare led to some of the highest casualty rates in all of history. Oh, man, it was not good. No, it was not. As a result of... World War One. it is believed that hundreds of millions lost their lives. Not not just military lives, but civilians included. Uh, some during combat. Some due to the ravaging of Europe that changed post-war. Uh, yet all were related <laughs> back to the war itself. It's one of the most catastrophic things to ever happen. Yeah, the uh, seminal catastrophe. God damn right. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Man. Which is a fun way to put it. It is fun. Fun for, for <laughs> us now. Ha. Yeah. Remember when the world changed and lots of people died? Yep. Fun. Uh, but yeah, there were many new technologies that first came into use that transformed the battlefields of World War I. Uh, machine guns were used on a scale that they hadn't been seen before. Oh, man. Flamethrowers. Oh, what a... What a good idea. Chemical warfare. Oh, God. Made its, made its first real appearance, you know. Mustard gas. It's pretty popular. Yeah. And ever since, we thought that was naughty. That's one of the things we still think is naughty. Yeah. Like, that's a no-go. Yeah. No. People didn't like it. Uh, mechanized tanks kind of made their first real yeah. go at it, uh, which would have been horrifying. You know, you got no body armor and just like a... Shitty little rifle. Right. You're like, oh, what's what's that guy? What's that? Hey, we put up this fence. We're safe in this trench. Oh, my God. What is that? Mm-hmm. Telephones were being used, so communication was increased. Uh, airplanes and submarines. All of these devices paved the way for massive casualties and warfare that was more terrifying and different from wars past. Oh. What do you think? Ah, it's heavy. Yeah. It's intense. Yeah. Pretty intense. Very intense. Trench warfare seemed like it was not, not enjoyable. God. Whenever I think about a bureaucratic fuck-up, I always think about... Like, I overblow, like, work stuff. I always think about trench warfare. Where, like, the generals are like, this is a good idea. And everyone on both sides are like, no, this is bad for all of us. Yeah, we what all are, we all hate this. This is not... Why are we even fighting this guy? I mean, I don't want to talk too much about... Well, I don't know what's going to... What what's going to befell me this episode... But the fact when shooting stops, guys would play soccer who were enemies before. It's like, yeah, right. put it, put it, put it to sleep. This is dumb. Yeah, and then then their commanding officers would be like, "All right, that's enough playing around, guys. We got to go blow yeah. them away now." Like, what the fuck? I just me, me and Yus- Yusuf over here. <laughs> yeah, we're at buddies, and now. Oh, yeah, okay. like some of the ceasefires that you hear about, yeah. read about, are pretty. I mean, the Christmas one is the most important one. Yeah, that I... one's pretty wild. Oh. But we're not talking about that today. No, because that's a good thing, and war is awful. So who knows what's happening now? Yeah. Uh, what I've, where we're getting, though, is I'm going to talk to you about submarines a little bit. Oh, all right. Yeah, because they, uh, they'd been around a little bit longer than 1914, though they were not used on a lar- large scale until the 20th century. Sure. They Up until then, they were somewhat impractical or difficult to implement. 
Would it surprise you if I told you the first military submarine was of U.S. origin? It depends. We like weapons. We do. So it's kind of like, I'm like, oh, wow. I mean, it's probably going to surprise me when you say it came into existence. Yeah. In 1775, the first military uh, submarine named Turtle was created. Oh, good job, everybody. The Freedom Turtle. (laughs) Uh, And it was implemented. It was helped brought into existence by a guy we like to call uh, General George Washington. Who the hell is this? Uh, (laughs) It was a single man vessel that used a small propeller to, to move it forward. It was acorn-shaped, and uh, the mission of the turtle was <laughs> to attach explosives to British ships in the New York Harbor. Didn't George, all right, so he commissioned this. Did, yes, did, um, did George, he didn't build it himself. Did, well, did he drive it? <sighs> Not that I know of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he rode this across the Delaware. <laughs> He's like, come on, guys, follow the turtle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all attempted missions by the turtle failed, and in 1776, the turtle was lost when its transport ship was sunk. Ah, man. Turtle, I barely knew you. You're already gone. Yeah, it was pretty cool. The drawings of it are pretty funny. I don't understand how it would have worked ever. I hope it just looks like a turtle. It looks like an underwater acorn with like a guy that sits in it and has like petals. This is like even before like Jules Verne shit. Who knows what this... Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. So then through the early 1800s, there were more attempts to create viable underwater ships, but they all relied on manpower. So... Lots of difficulty with those. I was going to say it's a little limited. Yeah, we don't really do well underwater. so Humans, no. And it's a lot of water to move to power a ship. The first mechanical submarine used compressed air as a means of propulsion, and that was in 1864. Then there were some steam power options. Again, they were clunky, didn't yeah. really get the job done. I can't imagine trying to use a steam engine underwater. Real tough. It doesn't sound like it would go. It sounds like you would just suffocate whoever's inside the ship. Maybe. Where does this theme go? I don't know. Like, it has to go somewhere, right? A normal engine? Yeah, it's probably so, hot as hell in there. Right. Or, or yeah. Or is this, you're just inside a giant bubble machine? It's got to go somewhere. But in 1866, submarines started being more of a military option with the invention of the Whitehead torpedo. Oh, Christ. Which was made by a guy named Whitehead. Fair. Uh, it was essentially a self-propelled bomb, which is mm. kind of what we call torpedoes now. Yeah. They're pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Previous attempts at torpedoes were very impractical. There was a ship, I didn't write it down, but the Confederate Confederacy, you know, yes. we're talking mid-1860s. Right oh, yeah, now. we know what war was going on. They tried to implement a submarine with a torpedo, and it was called a spar torpedo. Essentially, it was a big pole with a bomb on the end of it. All right. It worked, but it also took out the ship it was attached to. Oh, so it's just a suicide boat. Yeah, basically. I don't (laughs) think it was supposed to work like that, but that's how it ended up going down. Cool. Yeah. Good job. Oh, there you go. Good job, Confederacy. Great. Yeah, I love... Yeah, submarines used in a war where the country's coasts are just literally connected. Yeah. I mean... I mean, I know they're trying to control the ports is what it comes down to. Right. So, however, in the 20th century, the diesel electric transmission changed the world of submarines and naval forces around the world. 
So, first big war that rolls around in that century, uh-huh. we know what it is. <sighs> Submarines were now viable and a formidable force, and the subsequent eruption of World War One was uh, was going to be a hunting ground for these wolves of the sea. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Is that the episode title? The wolves of the sea. I mean, we'll see. I don't know where I'm going. Maybe. <laughs> Could be. Oh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see oh, where we go. We'll see. Huh. Oh. Mm. Mm. <laughs> no, we're not going to call it that now. <laughs> no. You ruined it. Oh, sorry. All right. But the uh, the UK's involvement in World War One meant that control of the waters around the United Kingdom and in between Europe uh, became extremely important. Transportations of tons of equipment and thousands of troops, control of the sea was vital. I mean, when you think about it, the UK is an island. Exactly. It's an island country. Exactly. Not in the way that we think of most island countries, but no, it's pretty isolated. And I mean, the sea is the sea is their bread and butter. Mm-hmm. The British has been modern. for quite some time. Yeah, right. Yeah, they just they slowly walked away from the fact that they were a brutal empire for a while. Basically, after the conflict we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And the one that would follow. Mm-hmm. The sequel. Because we just can't get enough. So Germany attempted to use these new submarines to take control of the seas or to attempt to slow uh, the UK from engaging in Europe. Fair. So German submersibles are called Unterseeboots, which I knew this for a long time. Sure. I I don't remember why I know this. But... uh, I just think it's funny because it sounds like if you were trying to make up a word in German. Yes. Like. Unterseeboots. Yeah. Like it just sounds like that. But that is what it is. Unterseeboots. So that is why we know, or that is why German submarines were called U-boats. Yeah. Because we're like, we're fixed this. This is a bad yeah. thing to say. <laughs> Unterseeboots. Like, no, yeah. no. It's a U-boat. Yeah. We're just going to call it U-boat. U-boat. It's a little more. Americanized. Yeah. Well, U-boat. that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's like, we're not doing yeah, that. <laughs> U-boat. I'm not saying that. Unterseeboot? Yeah. But the at the outbreak of World War One, the U-boats had an operating range of 5,000 miles. Oh, shit. And moved at a whopping 15 kilometers per hour. Oh, fuck. Was that, like, eight miles an hour? Yeah, they're fucking speeding, dude. Yeah. Eight MPH. So, but they would typically operate on the surface... And would dive to make surprise attacks on vessels. So they're not doing all their boating underneath the water. Not like modern submarines where they're just yeah. gone for... Nuclear subs can go down forever. I don't even know how long they can stay underwater. Yeah, it's basically like a reverse Klingon bird of prey. Because like, they would uncloak to shoot. Mm-hmm. These subs dive to shoot. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this just came to me. <laughs> uh, in 1915... The U-20 fired a single torpedo at the British Ocean Liner, the RMS Lusitania. The ship sank 11 miles off the coast of Ireland. This was a civilian ship, though. So so its sinking was very controversial. It wasn't until later in the 1980s that the British finally admitted it had been transporting ammunitions. (laughs) (laughs) They kept up the lie that long? Yeah, and the reason they ended up... uh, Saying, eh, well, maybe it was carrying munitions was because people wanted to go recover it. And they were like, actually, there's a bunch of explosives down there with uh, it, so maybe we shouldn't do that. And everybody's like, wait a second. Hold on. Yeah. 
it's like we don't it's like i mean we're like talking to germany like we're all friends in our right it's fine yeah. is, we're buddies yeah just we, don't tell russia yeah we're yeah well yeah we don't yeah, don't tell them anything yeah but uh oh 1198 civilians uh were killed that's not good during the sinking of the ship So for a while, Germany changed tactics after this because it actually drew a lot of attention, international attention. And so they changed their tactics to they would capture ships and goods as prizes of war, which was kind of the way things were meant to be done. You're not just murdering civilians out at sea and stuff. I'll never get over the rules of war, what's civilized and what's not and what's okay and what's these lines that are drawn. Yeah. But I mean, I would rather have you just capture this, take it and don't murder all the people on board, mm-hmm. especially if they're civilians. Right. So unfortunately for the Germans, the Lusitania had 139 American lives aboard it, which 128 of them had died. Once it became obvious that this had enraged the U S and most other countries, yeah. uh, but once it became obvious the U.S. was going to become involved in the war, Germany adopted the policy of unrestricted submarine warfare once again. Which is a.k.a. policy code fuck it. Yep. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well. <laughs> okay. I mean, tactically, they're trying to stop everything from coming into Europe. Right. Close it off. More than 5,000 Allied ships were sunk by German U-boats. My God. As you can imagine, this made U-boats widely feared. So I'm going to read you a little bit off of Wikipedia here. Sure. Of the 373 German submarines that had been built, eventually 178 were lost by enemy action. Of these, 41 were sunk by mines, 30 by depth charges, 13 by Q-ships, 515 officers, and 4,894 enlisted men were killed. They sank 10 battleships, 18 cruisers, several smaller naval vessels. They further destroyed 5,708 merchant and fishing vessels for a total of 11,108,865 tons and the loss of about 15,000 sailors. So pretty crazy. Great. Q-boats or Q-ships were kind of the merchant vessel's response to all this violence. Sure. They were basically military vessels. or They looked like merchant ships, but they were equipped with weapons. Awesome. So they were there to counter U-boats. Yeah, code. They'd be like, oh, it's a merchant ship. This is easy. They they reappear from yeah. below the sea, and then these ships unload on them. Yeah. Code, so. just, code just bring it. Come on, man. What do you got? Yeah. Oh, whoa, whoa, uh, yeah. whoa, whoa. Like, whoa. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, one of these U-boats claims to have come under attack by something other than Allied forces. Oh, no. April 30th, 1918. Oh, dear. On the ship's second patrol mission, the UB-85 was approached by the HMS Corpsis 2. That's a mouthful, yes. but that's the name of the ship. Perfect. Coropsis 2. UB-85 attempted to evade the approaching ship off the coast of Belfast. Eventually, the ship was forced to surface, though as it was, as it was taking on water, 
The ensuing flooding of the ship caused the crew to abandon ship while under fire from the HMS Corrupsis II. No casualties were incurred, and the German crew was taken as POWs. While being interrogated, the UB-85's captain, Gunther Kretsch, said that the ship was unable to submerge due to damage the ship had taken during the night before. Oh, no. Kretsch claimed that the night before they were captured, they had surfaced off the coast of Ireland to recharge the ship's batteries. While doing so, they were attacked by a creature from the sea. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh-huh. Oh, no. What? The monster had horns, small, deep-set eyes, and masses of monstrous teeth. Jesus Christ. What the, the mass f- of the creature caused the ship to tilt over when it climbed upon its side. Yikes. It then proceeded to launch a vicious, vicious attack on the forward gun, biting large chunks out of it. Yeah. Uh, that was taken from War History Online. Perfect. Yeah. There's a historian that claims that this story is perpetuated by journalists, though. Oh, because they find it fucking incredible? Yeah. The... Like, how do you not talk about this if you find this out? Right. Uh, McCartney believes, though, that they took stories from the 1920s and just kept them alive, keeping this story going and going. And He believes that the only real sea monsters during World War I were the U-boats. These tales of sea monsters that soldiers encountered were their way of telling friends and family that they were attacked using the sea monster attack... uh, I see. As a... Right. The U-boats are just sea monsters to them. Right. So, this came up recently, and this is why McCartney says that uh, it's being perpetuated, because in 2018, they actually think they found the wreckage of the UB-85. Okay. Uh, It says that the sonar scans match the UB-85 but could easily be those of her sister ship, the UB-22, which lies halfway between each shipwreck. The only way to tell for sure would be someone, but somehow read the numbers painted on the ships, and McCartney states that he couldn't find anyone interested enough in diving down there to provide (laughs) verification. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So McCartney is a historian of marine archaeologist at Bournemouth University, and he puts the blame squarely in the lap of journey journalists for the story's continual spread because they don't they don't calm down right and he believes that perhaps the sea monster attack story is a fanciful fabrication intended to cover up the much more banal circumstance of simply being captured by the british due to either incompetence or circumstance so the reason he says that is apparently there's some rumors going around Mm -hmm. when these guys get caught that Captain Kretsch uh, wanted a heater in his captain's quarters. And when some something damaged happened, they couldn't isolate it because of the cables to provide the heater. Because in submarines, they have it where you can like close off segments so you don't sure. flood the ship. Sure. I guess this whole thing kind of bungled that. And so they're saying like- that he fucked up and he doesn't want to admit it. So he's like, yeah. Sea monster got us. <laughs> We're attacked by a creature. Yeah. 
the door wouldn't shut because there might have been some kind of cable or some kind of hookup, and then he makes up this monster story. That's amazing. But, I don't know. Because at the same time, it's like, well, you guys were taken on water, so something was wrong. Right. Right. Either way. Yeah, right. right. Maybe something, maybe that just added to the sea monster attack. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, shit. The sea monster attacked. We can't close your fucking quarters because you want to be warm. There's this cable in the way. He's like, ah. <laughs> I didn't expect a sea monster. Yeah. <laughs> Who did? Mm-hmm. I wanted to be warm. I'm the captain. Yeah. So that's going to bring us to the U-28. The U-28 was under the command of Freiherr George Gunther von Forstner. During its career, the U-28 conducted five patrols and sank 40 ships. One of these engagements had a little more to it than just two ships slugging it out. I'm going to read you something off of Cryptopia. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And like that? On like- July 30th, 1915, our U-28 torpedoed the British steamer Iberian, which was carrying a rich cargo, trucks and jeeps primarily, across the Atlantic. The steamer sank so swiftly that its bow stuck up almost vertically into the air. Moments later, the hull of the Iberian disappeared. The wreckage remained beneath the water for approximately 25 seconds at a depth that was clearly impossible to assess. Suddenly, there was a violent explosion which shot pieces of debris, among them a gigantic aquatic animal, out of the water to a height of approximately 80 feet. Yikes! At that moment, I had with me in the conning tower, six of my officers of the watch, including the chief engineer, the navigator, and the helmsman. Simultaneously, we all drew one another's attention to this wonder of the seas, which was writhing and struggling among the debris. We were unable to identify the creature, but all of us agreed that it resembled an aquatic crocodile that was about 60 feet long, with four limbs resembling large webbed feet, a long pointed tail, and a head which also tapered to a point. Unfortunately, we were not able to take a photograph for the animal sank out of sight after 10 or 15 seconds. But, yeah, you wouldn't, especially back then, you'd have no time for that. No. Well, that's scary. Yeah, a little bit. I don't don't like that. I don't like that at all. Yeah. What? So, it was hard to pinpoint where this quote comes from. And from what I can tell, nobody really knows where exactly this quote comes from. Great. But everybody agrees that it seems to be his writings. Uh, Forstner was known as a meticulous sailor. He wrote detailed logs. Sure. Um, of the ship, you know, yeah. captain's log. Yes. So he was good at that. He was a serious sail- sailor. Uh, most, at this time, submarine, I mean, I don't know if they're all comedians now, but been taking a submarine under your command was a, a big deal. These were like serious people. Right. Because lots of casualties involved. You had to be top of your top of your game, you know. Sure. I mean the world is on the brink. No one's I mean, ideally you're not just fucking around talking about monsters. Right. So they it specifically mentions on Wikipedia and a few other sources that this did not come from his log though. Interesting. Some of some of the sources try to pass it off like Maybe it was, but most of the more legitimate sources I could find said not in his log. So I can't say 100% where it came from, but 
were here. Yes. Von Forstner was relieved of command of the U-28 in 1968, or 1920. Mixing up all these numbers. There's a lot going on. 1916, and the U-28 was eventually sunk in September of 1917. And on the 2nd of September, at 11.55 a.m., it encountered the armed English steamer Olive Branch. It was 85 nautical miles north by northeast off North Cape, Norway. U-28 scored a torpedo hit and closed in to finish the steamer with gunfire. The shells detonated Olive Branch's cargo of munitions, which it had been carrying from England to Arkhangelsk, Russia, and the subsequent explosion so badly damaged the U-boat that it sank along with the steamer. All 39 of its crew were lost. Some were seen swimming, but were not picked up by the Olive Branch's lifeboats. Damn it. An alternative description, though, of the event states that the munition, when the ammunition detonated, a truck carried as deck cargo was blown into the air and fell from a great height onto the U-boat, sinking it. Mm. The reason this is important is because everybody that had served on the U-28 minus Forstner are gone. Damn it. So he wasn't on it when it sank, but any of the, everybody else that served with him that saw this sure. is gone. So was he just not on the ship that time? He'd been relieved of duty. I think he got, got assigned it. to a different ship. Okay. That's why I mentioned that. Perfect. But uh, yeah, so he, eventually it comes out in 1935. The book... The Case for the Sea Serpent was published in Germany. And I believe it was in 1933 that Forstner released some information to a German newspaper where this account was eventually put into the book. But at that time, like I said, everybody else had died. Yeah. Uh, Some of the officers had been reassigned, but by the war's end, it was him and the one other guy from the ship. So nobody could really verify because the one other guy that survived never came forward with this information. And it was like 18 years after this account that uh, Forstner comes forward and says it. The case for the sea monster? What an incredible book. Mm -hmm. Sea serpent, but close enough. That's what I meant. I get too excited about it, sorry. Yeah, that's fine. So in 1935, the... Case for the Sea Serpent was published in Germany. This offered even more details about the strange event and the actual case cause of the Iberian's explosive finale. In Forstner's words, the description of an animal estimated at 20 meters in length, seen by me and some of the crew of the submarine U-28 on the 30th of July, 1915, in the Atlantic Ocean. It was sighted on the starboard side, about 60 nautical miles south of Fastnet Rock on the southwest corner of Ireland after the sinking of the British steamer Iberian. This animal was hurled some 20 or 30 meters into the air by an underwater explosion about 25 seconds after the sinking of the vessel. Thrown full length from the water, it is possible that it was caused by the detonation of an explosive device on board, the existence of which we assumed was concealed in the ship's papers or from a small boiler explosion. This explosion certainly could have been the result of a detonation, 
But in my opinion, only the bursting of the spaces deep inside the ship could have produced such an such air pressure. <coughs> so the ship blew up. Yeah, it exploded. Underwater. Yeah, boom. And a 60-foot sea creature. Yeah, it's flung into the sky. Yeah, that's pretty what? wild. Yeah, it's insane. So the Iberian was sank, but there was a good amount of people that survived it. Oh, because, yeah, they have lifeboats. Mm-hmm. So it sank rapidly, so a lot of them were swimming around, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but a decent good. amount of them survived. None of them ever came forward until they saw this. It's one argue against it, one way to argue against it. But sure. at the same time, something like this, when you're fighting for your life after a massive explosion, you're probably not paying a whole lot of attention. Maybe you just see some giant debris and you not think too much about it. The first thing that pops into your head when you see this thing flying to the sky, you're, you're probably catching with the corner as you're trying to just like paddle or swim or yeah. get to whatever raft you can. Is that oh that might be a sixty foot crocodile like monster? <laughs> yeah. It's not gonna it's not gonna happen. No, you probably think it's part of the ship or something. I mean, you're swimming for your life. You're involved in the war to end all wars. You don't expect to see a sea serpent, right? Flying to the sky. Yeah, and uh, like. Even his account said it was only there for 10 to 15 seconds. Yeah, so that's nothing. Yeah. So you're not focusing on it by any means. So that's a good point to, you know, who knows what really happened. Right. But you have this very serious captain that decides to kind of spill the beans on this after he was maybe scared of the criticism that would come out after. That's a common theme. Yeah. But who knows what he was thinking? Why? Why wasn't in the ship's logs? He probably thought it was ridiculous, and he's it's like Mister Serious, right? It's like I can't. We're keeping that. We're keeping that out of here, Captain's log. I did not see a monster today. Ah, scratch that out. That's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. No. Bad. So were the U-boat captains seeing literal sea monsters, or are there mosasaurs still in the ocean? That's what it's. That's exactly the points on both ends. Uh-huh. That's exactly what that is. Yeah, yeah. With flippered fingers, they got those. That's what that is. So, like we've talked about in previous ocean-bearing episodes, we have only about five percent of the ocean has been documented. Millions, possibly, of creatures have yet to be identified. Is it possible that? <laughs> Monsters from the age of dinosaurs are still below the water. So mosasaurs, this is taken straight from Wikipedia. Sure. And streamlined for listening pleasure. Beautiful. Yes, that's a perfect (laughs) phrase. Mosasaurs compromise a group of extinct large marine animals. Maybe extinct. Yeah, the quotation marks are important. Yeah, I'm throwing those in there. Yes, I like it. Yeah. Mosasaurs probably evolved from an extinct group of aquatic lizards during the last 20 million years of the Cretaceous period with the extinction of the Ichthyosaurus and Pleosaurus. Mosasaurs became the dominant marine predators. Scary. Mosasaurs breathed air, were powerful swimmers, well adapted to living in the warm, shallow inland seas prevalent during the late Cretaceous period. Mosasaurs were so well adapted to this environment that they gave birth to live young rather than returning to the shore to lay eggs as sea turtles do. Jesus. 
They're reptiles. Right. So. Scary. Like eggs pass. Yeah. Nah. Nah. Skip. The smallest known mosasaur was Dallasaurus. Actually, that wasn't too bad. Ternary. Dallasaurus Ternary. Nice. That sounds good. Sounds like a Game of Thrones character, to be honest with you. Kind of. Anyways. Which was less than one meter. So three. Oh, f- little guy. Three feet-ish. Still scary. Larger mosasaurs were more typical, mm. with many species growing longer than four meters, mm. which is around 13 feet. Yeah. Mosasaurus hoffmani, the no. largest known species. The hoff? The hoff may have reached up to 17 meters, being just shy of 60 feet in length. Maybe a... I mean, that thing's scary. It was the, the, currently the largest publicly exhibited mosasaur skeleton in the world. It's on display at the Canadian Fossil Discovery Center in Morden, Manitoba. It's nicknamed Bruce. Perfect. And it's 43 feet long. Oh, God. Mosasaurs had a body shape similar to that of modern-day monitor lizards, but were more elongated and streamlined for swimming. Their limb bones were reduced in length, and their paddles were formed by webbing between their long finger and toe bones. Their tails were broad and supplied the locomotive power. So it's kind of like how you see... Like iguanas, like yes. sea iguanas and stuff like that. Yes. Swim. But these are huge. They're giant. So that estimated 17 meters being just under 60 feet, it's kind of what a Forstner claims to have seen. Exactly. There's other reptiles. There's uh, saltwater crocodiles. Yes. Which can get up to, I want to say, 24 feet. And prior to the past couple, maybe decades, I didn't write any of this down. Sure. But it was thought that they couldn't, they wouldn't cross large bodies of water. Obviously, with modern technology, now we've been able to kind of track them a little bit better. Yeah. And they are seen to ride ocean, like, they'll they'll swim out there. They'll yeah. They'll cross large bodies of water. Hop in a current or something, just yep. go for it? Yep. Damn. So there are massive... Reptiles in the water. Are they mosasaurs? <laughs> I like to think so. Now, like earlier, we were, I was joking about like calling this like wolves of the sea. Mm-hmm. These are like dire wolves of the sea. Right. And that's They're why fucking I said horrifying. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking horrifying. Yeah, they're huge. I mean, isn't this... Isn't a mosasaur in like the Jurassic World? Yeah, and they they I mean the one they make is absurd. It's huge. Yeah, that's ridiculous. But you get yes. the idea. It eats a whole Indominus Rex. That's a made up dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Spoiler alert. But yeah, no, it's a giant creature. Yeah, well, because yeah, the whole thing is they feed it with a great white shark. It's like, all right, guys, you made a giant thing, but sixty feet in real world terms, that's still terrifying. That's huge. And, like, can you imagine, like, blowing up, like, a good chunk of the known world and having these battles in the ocean? It's going to wake shit up, maybe. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, before this, there weren't submarines. We weren't no. underwater blowing stuff up. No, it's totally new. Now, all of a sudden, there there's things down there blowing stuff up, causing a bunch of noise. Well, yeah, and, like, we think about, you know, aliens come down. We have no idea what the fuck that is. Can you imagine if there's a Mosasaur and there's a sea boat comes by? He's like, what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. He tries to talk to it. He just bites its turret and fucks it up. And then 
because the captain wanted a heater in his quarters. <laughs> it floats to the surface and then sinks to the bottom. Yeah, and the thing climbs on it and just... And, and then they're like, oh, oh, well, oh, shit, the British are coming. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back. I guess we'll just tell them it was a sea monster. Shit. Yeah. Get attacked by a guy named Sea Beast. Yeah, and they're like, I don't know. So I don't know. It is odd that uh, this guy... I mean, I don't know why you would come out after 18 years or whatever it was and be like, yeah, by the way, when I was a U-boat captain, this happened. This was like, what? Yeah. That's not like making up stuff to try to justify seeing a submarine. No. Like that author says. Right. But I don't know. Well, because back then people wrote letters, so like people knew how to write so they i mean i'm assuming they would use metaphors like a sea monster attacked me when it's just a submarine right like that's what it means like it's a, this creature from the depth but mm-hmm. it's a u-boat it's a it's a man-made mechanical device but then this guy comes out like 18 years later and says he gets attacked by a monster he's like no it's a giant lizard that fell out of the sky it had flippers it yeah. flew into the air i mean you can see the drawing that kind of went along in there's the a drawing with it. Yeah. I mean, it just looks like a giant alligator getting tossed out of, like, an explosion. Like, that's, that's like... That's hilarious. That's, like, what went along with this That's hilarious. That's hilarious. It's flying through the air. Yeah. There might as well be a caption going, wee! Yeah. (laughs) It's so silly. Yeah, but, I mean, it was very alligator-looking, like, or crocodile. It is, yeah. You know, it doesn't look like... No. ...a shark that got... No. He looked pretty proud of himself too. He just he's looks like smug. Hey. It's like <clears throat> it's like yeah, I could swim. Now I can fly. Was he a British mosasaur? Like, he was off the coast of the Ir- Ireland. So maybe oh, he's Irish. all right, different. I don't know if that does anything. No, it doesn't change any. No, it doesn't change my attitude towards him at all. Mm-hmm. Unless he had like a. If we zoom in, does he have like a <laughs> thing of whiskey beneath his flipper? Not that I can see. All right, so maybe not that. Mm-hmm. Pint of Guinness. It's like, hello. Yeah. And a little later. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Uh, so there, uh, there was another theory that I read about, yeah. and I don't know. Like, this is getting kind of weird. Let's get weird. Like, I mean, not that this isn't weird. Oh man, we got half half of this show's name is weird. Let's do it. So some people like to think that the ship that they blew up. It was like a 400 foot long ship sure they think maybe don't somebody was shipping this oh 60 my foot. god yeah that seems it's like even... a little they think maybe they were bringing it to america for research the, it was in a u-boat though no, it wasn't it was in the the uh the other one the iberian yeah perfect was that its name yeah good all right but i don't know like then you get into the British are hiding monsters. Yeah, we got a whole and new then, thing going on. And that just seems even more ridiculous. Well, and then if, if in World War One the Germans knew the British were hiding monsters, they're wondering why the Nazis went crazy in the occult. We have to summon demons. They have monsters? To battle the English monsters in the sea. Yeah, we need to talk about that. So, I mean, we'll, yeah, we'll get there. Mm, silly Nazis. We'll get there. Well, that's, that was going to be my first point. Like, these Germans aren't fucking Nazis. Not into this, all this bizarre shit. There's an empire trying to conquer, like, countries, you know, like you do. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to summon spirits from God knows where. No. They, but, wouldn't, they wouldn't be transporting this giant monster is my point. Right. But I, I like the British are transporting it. Man, people just want to have fun. <laughs> the British are I mean, transporting a monster across the Atlantic. 
Yeah, I don't, to I'd the watch Americas? That. Yeah, I'd watch it. Yeah. <laughs> did it did it happen? I don't I think mean, so. Maybe. I don't know. There's some weird stuff. Maybe well, let's just go another step. Maybe maybe that Gator was actually the pilot of the ship. It was controlled. It was hooked up. Maybe to his, it was just the ship was his armor. He was a battle serpent. Yeah, he was. He was a battle. <laughs> <laughs> he was a battle serpent, and his flippers were like exposed, and that's how the ship moved. <laughs> <laughs> that's really what's. That's really the conspiracy here. Yeah, could be. Didn't have a propeller. His tail wagged. <laughs> save the queen. Yeah. What? Did that ship say save the queen? I think it did. The Unter boat over there, <laughs> fuck that thing up. I think the British yeah. have a monster in their boat. Yeah. How did the British get monsters? Though? Hello, England. Is there a monster in your ship? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. They're like, never mind. But uh, it's cool to read about. It, this creature is actually called the U twenty eight creature. Like that's what it's known as. I like that name. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It gives it like some kind of you know. Well, obviously. Some kind of official, like, militaristic listing number. Like, mm-hmm. oh, shit. Giant monster. It's coming. Yeah, so the U-28 creature. And that's what uh, we learned about today. I like that. It was pretty interesting to read about. I got to learn about submarines a lot. Well, it's nice to hear a story about World War One that involves a monster, not just horrible things, like I did that one time. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> just on land murder. Yeah. This is a monster. I mean, there's plenty of that going on. Yeah, well, right. It was, I mean, obviously the same period, but... We focused on the monster part, mm-hmm. which is, which is wild. Yeah. So you twenty eight creature, the creature uh, that erupted sixty feet out of the water and swam away. I think if I have time, maybe it's a baby Godzilla, Gojira. Oh my god! In the remake with Matthew Broderick, Godzilla was a mutated sea iguana. I'm just saying. It's true. I'm just saying. It's an explanation. Mm-hmm. He wasn't some ancient creature unlocked by nuclear war, which is also very cool. That's <laughs> very cool. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. Yeah. I like both of those but, ideas. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, but the U-28 creature. Maybe I'll just, if I have time, we'll just recreate that exact image from flying to the sky. <laughs> but I think maybe I'll give him like a like a British flag. Or like some tea. Uh, he'll have tea and a monocle. <laughs> what if I just draw Winston Churchill as a lizard? <laughs> He was alive then. He wasn't yeah. flying through the sky. I think he served in World War I think he wasn't even in the Navy. Maybe. In charge of the Navy, oh, I thought. Oh, maybe he was on that ship. Maybe that was... Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Was Winston Churchill the lizard? <laughs> yeah. Can he change shape? Sure. Is Winston Why Churchill not? an alcoholic shapeshifter? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a whole different thing. Could be. Yeah, you turn into a creature. Mm-hmm. Great. Fun stuff. Yeah, it is fun stuff. <sighs> I like that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Short and sweet, though. It doesn't matter. Yeah. All good. Oh, it's perfect. That's perfect timing. Yeah. We just well, we also spent four hours discussing a monster battle with human beings in it who won most of the rounds. I think Muhammad Ali should have got further than he he did. She said he have no. He shouldn't have. <laughs> he battled a sorcerer. Yeah. Who I mean. Yeah, he was a and coyotes <laughs> and coyotes. He beat them. He's just punching coyotes. Well, we had to roll the dice. I was how I many w- coyotes? Yep. Well, he got them all. I still. I mean, I'm glad I contested it because, mm-hmm. like, if it would have rolled a number where it was a number of coyotes he could not have beaten, I'd be like, "Nah, man, he's dead." 
But it was few enough where he could just knock him out. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I, don't, I got no transition. But if you want to contact, <laughs> if you want to contact us, I was gonna say if you want to knock him out, that's not what you should say. Email us at weird and feared podcast at gmail.com. But we're also on all the social medias. Weird and feared Facebook, the Instagram. I think Facebook like is just really that's just like garbage. I mean, as far as like the algorithms and stuff go, yeah, Facebook's rough. It's pretty rough. It's not it's, great. Find us on Instagram though; that's fun. And the uh, Patreon, even though it's still owned by the same company, ah, man, whatever. Yeah. But uh, we're in feared at the Patreon. If you want to help us buy books and research a bunch of cool stuff, you can do that too. Mm-hmm. So we can and, fill your ears and heads full oh, of knowledge. Man, I would love to fill your ears with knowledge. Yeah. And then anchor.fm slash word and feared. It's like calling into the show. You leave us a voice message. We can either say what you want us to say on the show if you got something cool to talk about, or I mean, we can just play your recording in the show. That's an option too. But uh, either way, yeah, follow us around. Do what you got to do and stay spooky. Stay spooky. Stay spooky.